Please open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 22. Continuing our study through the book of Matthew, we'll be looking today just at verses 1 through 14. I've entitled today's message, Invited to the Royal Wedding. Invited to the Royal Wedding. You know, about in 2011, there was a royal wedding. I'm sure most of you uh, were familiar with that over in England. Prince William, the son of Charles and Diana, got married to Kate Middleton. And uh, I did a little research on that wedding. Apparently, it was the cost for the wedding was $30 million. So that made me feel a lot better about some of the wedding expenses I've been a part of. $500,000 in flowers. So it was must have been quite a garden of flowers. Uh, 1,900 people attended the wedding and the ceremony at, and, uh, uh, at the Abbey, uh, Westminster Abbey. And then um, a smaller group of 600 were invited to the luncheon reception at Buckingham Palace hosted by the Queen. And then a, even a smaller list of about 300 that for the evening dinner hosted by the Prince of Wales. So... A very exclusive and sought-after wedding. But even in such a royal wedding as that, such a high-profile wedding as that, there were some who did not come to the wedding. Some of them for health reasons. Some of them for pretty legitimate reasons. Some of them, though, I was kind of looking through the list and why they declined. I thought some of them were a little sketchy. Uh, the Ireland rug, rugby captain, he declined to come because he had a rub, rugby game the day after the wedding. I thought that was a little... Uh, I don't know, wrong priorities. The Queen of Netherlands, she declined because her own nation was observing uh, the Queen's Day, the day after. She didn't want to miss her day and come to the wedding, right? And the King of Sweden, he didn't show up. He declined due to his own birthday celebrations, which took place the day after. So, you know, even at a royal wedding that's so uh, prominent in our day, there are some who are disinterested, have other plans, and decline to come. But what we're going to see here today, Jesus is going to speak in a parable. He's going to talk about a wedding feast wherein this king has invited guests. And these guests are going to decline to come for various reasons, and uh, most of them really just because of their own hardness of heart. And of course, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of his day. You'll remember our setting. Jesus is ministering in the temple in Jerusalem. This would be the last week of Jesus' ministry before the cross. It's a, the Passion Week. We call it the Passion Week of Christ. It would be the Passover week there in Jerusalem, celebrated through the week. And, of course, uh, the Passover lamb sacrificed at Passover. Uh, and then we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Jesus coming out of the grave three days after the crucifixion. He's already now come into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry that we've looked at. He's cleansed the temple. He's thrown out the money changers and the merchant. He's been teaching there in the temple. And we see that he's been contending with the religious leaders. They're coming and challenging him. Who gave you this authority? And Jesus, in response to that contention, that rejection that the religious leaders are bringing to him, he's been talking to them in parables. And this is the third, the last of a series of parables. We, we know them as judgment parables, where Jesus is, by illustration, showing the rejection of Israel to Christ 
and the hardness of their hearts. You remember he gave the parable of the two sons. One, the outwardly pretending obedient son who said, yes, I'll go, but then did not obey. And then the other, the, the initial disobedient son, yet inwardly became repentive and did obey. And Jesus speaking to them, saying, look, the, you, you religious leaders, you outwardly pretend to be obedient, but inwardly your hearts refuse to obey. Others who have heard the message, they were outwardly sinful and far from God, but inwardly their hearts repented and they have in fact come to God. Jesus speaking this judgment against this religious establishment, He also gave the parable of the vineyard where the landowner leased out his vineyard to these vine dressers who turned out to be evil-hearted. They refused to honor the landlord when he came for fruit. They rejected the messengers and in fact even killed the son when he was sent. And the landowner takes away the vineyard and entrusts it to another. This would be a judgment to the religious establishment of Israel that God had given to the nation of Israel, really the vineyard of His kingdom, the opportunity to represent God in the earth. They were entrusted and chosen to be the, 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 the lineage of the Messiah. And now that their Messiah was in their midst, the Son Himself has come. They're getting ready to reject Him. And of course, we know they're going to crucify Him. And God is pronouncing a judgment for this on this nation that has rejected God and His plan. He will take the vineyard and give it and entrust it to the Gentile nations. The church will now become the vehicle in which the gospel is proclaimed to the world. The church will include both Jew and Gentile, but the nation of Israel would be rejected. Now we also know that God has a future plan for the nation of Israel. And God will once again restore the nation of Israel. God will once again bring them, graft them back into His redemptive plan. But in this generation, they come under the judgment of God. And, and now we come to our text today, the, the third judgment parable wherein Jesus will be uh, speaking about the parable of the wedding feast. Let's take a look and uh, we'll work our way through it. The first section that we'll look at together, verses 1 through 6, is we see the rejection of the invitation. The rejection of the invitation. Verse 1, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Verse 5, But they made light of it, and went, out, and went, their, uh, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. So here's the setting. The king, representing, of course, God the Father, has called the nation of Israel to this feast, the kingdom, to come and enjoy the blessing and the fullness of His plan for them, to honor His Son, the Messiah, the One who would come to save and to redeem. And yet, we see that they are unwilling. God had invited Israel many times for hundreds of years. The servants, the prophets had been coming 
to the nation for generations, calling them to repentance, calling them back into relationship with God, calling them to come and enjoy the fullness of the kingdom. And yet they refused. Recently, John the Baptist had come to them, and now even Jesus Himself, they were unwilling to come. A few things stand out to me in this parable I'd like you to consider with me. The first thing that jumps out to me is the preparation and the persistence of the king. The preparation and persistence of the king. It says in verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. God has made the arrangements. His plans for redeeming man are all his. And he alone has made the arrangements. Look again, verse 4. He sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed. I've prepared the sacrifice and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. The Father has been diligent in preparing all things necessary to enjoy life in His kingdom. You know, sometimes you get invitations to come to a banquet or to a, to a meal or to an event, and, and, and sometimes it'll say, you know, bring an, bring an appetizer or, you know, bring a dessert. You know, you come, but you need to come and help kind of provide for some of the festivities. But in, in this case, God has provided everything. Don't bring anything. Just come. I've provided the sacrifice for sin. My own son. I've provided all that's needful for you to come and enjoy life and relationship with me. Come to the wedding. Come enjoy my kingdom. I've prepared everything. The planning, the full preparation. The book of Ephesians tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God has left nothing undone. God has has, uh, fulfilled all that is needful for redemption and salvation with Him. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, It's by grace you have been saved, through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God has prepared, God has made all the arrangements You just bring your heart and surrender it to Him. Receive. All you have to do is accept the invitation and show up. And God has prepared everything. Don't bring anything of your own righteousness. Don't need to bring anything of your own works. You don't need to, well, i got to get cleaned up. i got to get it together before I come. No, you just come. I've prepared everything. You come unto Me. Not only is God prepared, but I see here God's persistence. Look, come, he says. Um, Everything is ready. Come to the wedding. God continues to invite. God continues to extend. Not only in Israel. We see Him for hundreds of years through the life of the prophets. Now through John the Baptist. Now through His own Son. Come, come. I want to save. I want to have relationship with you. And now even this goes into our generation. God continues to invite all of us to come. The Bible tells us that the reason Jesus has not returned for His second coming is because of the patient long-suffering of God. Because He doesn't want to close the door to that invitation too soon. He wants all men to have opportunity to hear the invitation, to repent, and to come to salvation. God is patient. God is persistent. 
Think of your own, if you're, if you're a Christian today, think of your own journey to Christ. I, you know, for me, it seems like the Holy Spirit was hounding me for many months, keep coming, kept coming after me to draw me and lead me into Christ. And even now, as a Christian, I find the Holy Spirit continue persistent, consistent to draw me, to, to, to tug at my heart, to watch over my life. God is faithful. He loves us. He's prepared everything and he, he is consistent to knock and to pursue. The cry of God continues to go out today. Come to the wedding. Come be a part of the royal family. Everything is prepared. Please come and join me. But we see, secondly, in this parable, in this first section, that they are unwilling to come. They were not willing, it says in verse 3. Verse 5, it says that they made light of it and went their way. Verse 6, it says that they seized the servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. Not only is this played out, of course, in the drama of Israel and their rejection of Christ, but I think we can see even this in the heart of men even today. Isn't it true that even today, though the the gospel goes out and the invitation to come is, is consistently presented, there are some who are simply unwilling to come. They don't want God in their life. They're not interested in spiritual things. Maybe you've met some. Maybe you were some. At one point, you just you weren't ready. You didn't want it. You weren't interested. Unwilling to come. He says here also that some made light. So this is maybe not so much of a disinterest in coming, but just, you know, it's not the biggest priority for me to come. I'll come if I can, but I'm not sure. Something else might come up. I might have other priorities. I might have business to tend to. I might have farm to take care of. I'm not interested in rearranging my schedule, my priority. If I can make the wedding, I'll be there, but I don't want to be a hard yes. Let's see and, and see what my options are. This kind of taking light, the opportunity, the invitation of the King of Kings to come and be a part of the royal wedding of the royal family. Too busy, too distracted with their own life. I'd like to come, but we'll see. I have other priorities, you know. Sadly to say, not only is this what keeps some from coming to Christ, but I think it keeps some who have come to Christ from going on and maturing and being fruitful in Christ. You remember Jesus uh, talked about the heart of man being represented by different types of soil. And the seed, which is God's Word, it goes into a man's heart, and depending on the quality of the soil, it's determined what kind of fruitfulness the the seed has opportunity to bear. And you remember Jesus talked about that heart, that soil, the thorny soil. And the seed goes and it produces Life, the plant comes up, but it's entangled with the thorns, and the thorns choke out the fruitfulness. The plant never really bears fruit, it never really comes to full maturity. And Jesus said, look, this is like the heart of man who is distracted with the cares of the world. Uh, The heart of man who loves other things. It's not that we, we don't want Christ. It's just that Christ has to kind of fit into the mix and to the blend. We have other priorities, other cares, other worries, other pursuits, other ambitions. And in fact, that chokes out the fruitfulness. And some believers, unfortunately, it seems they never come to maturity. They never come to, to fruitfulness. 
And so there's a warning here, I think, even for believers, you know, that we would not be lukewarm, that we would not forget our first love. Maybe you started with, that, with, that, with such an excitement in coming to the Lord, but, but now life and the cares of life and business and farm and distractions, whatever it is, insert your own kind of title there, you, you, you're, just, you're off track. You know, Jesus talked to a church in the book of Revelation, you know, saying, you've lost your first love. What happened? You need to come back, repent, come back and do the things that you did at first, that you might be healed, that you might be restored, that you might come back to fruitfulness. This tendency of man to make light of the things that are priority for God can be very distracting to us spiritually. We see also in these unwilling servants, or excuse me, these unwilling invitees. Some are just uh, resentful for even the message. They begin to persecute the servants. They despise even the messengers. They They resist to the point of persecution and even killing those that come with the message. And this too, I'm afraid, is, is something that we see even in our time. Some that are antagonistic to the gospel. Some that are resistant to even the message that, that some might share in invitation of coming to Christ. We see it even in our own culture. This Christian worldview is becoming uh, despised and condemned in our culture. Any standard, any call of accountability to God, any, any expression of spiritual life, people are resisting and they're, they're saying, you know, you're, you're too narrow-minded, you're too intolerant, you're, you're a hater because you, you, know, you, you think that, that I need to come to the wedding that includes faith in Jesus Christ. And even this, this resistant opposition we see manifested in our own day. Well, let's move on back to our text. Pick it up with me now in verse 7. As we have looked now at the, uh, the rejection of the invitation, let's consider now the retaliation of the king. Verse 7, But when the king heard about it, especially his servants being killed, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Now this would become something of a prophetic word against Israel, specifically the city of Jerusalem. It would be in 70 A.D., just you know, some 30 years after they crucified Christ, just a short time that Jerusalem itself would be burned to the ground by the Roman Empire. They would come and send armies there and destroy the city of Jerusalem. Many see in this parable a prophetic word depicting what would come to Jerusalem. But ultimately, we can see that this includes the judgment that will come against all who reject Christ. Israel and Jerusalem are not the only ones that would fall under this judgment for rejecting Christ. In in truth, all who reject Christ, all that refuse the invitation, all that are disinterested in God and His appeal for reconciliation will come under the judgment of God for their own sin. They will, unfortunately, be found 
guilty before the Lord. Now he says that the wedding was ready, but those that were invited were not worthy. Now what made them not worthy was their refusal to accept the invitation. God extended the invitation to, to them, but because they were unwilling and rejected his offer of grace, his, of mercy, of the invitation for the royal family, they became unworthy in their rejection of his offer. Consider the words of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The offer is available, but if it's rejected, you, you are not worthy to attend apart from receiving the grace of God in Christ. Hebrews in chapter 10 talks about there will be no other sacrifice provided for sin. Jesus is it. Jesus is God's plan for saving men. There's no one else coming. There's no one else coming that can, that can die for your sins. There's no one else that will be able to, to establish right relationship for you before God. It is Christ and Christ alone. And those that reject Him, Hebrews 10 tells us, all that's left for them is a certain expectation of judgment. Because if you trample the Son of God underfoot, not only do you insult the Spirit of grace, but you put yourself in a place of God's vengeance. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I believe that it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. That's what the Scripture says. The love of God, the appeal, the invitation, the offer of mercy, that's what draws us to Him. But make no mistake, to reject that offer, to refuse to repent, God is also clear to warn there is nothing left but the certain expectation of judgment. Judgment is not there to fear, to draw you, by, to drive you to God in fear, but as a warning and, a, and a, an incentive to respond to the kindness and love that God has extended. Let's move on in our text here. The third section I want you to look at with me is that now God gives an extended invitation, the king. Verse 9, speaking to his servants, Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. As the Jews rejected the invitation, the invitation then extended beyond the Jews and went to all the world, Jew and Gentile, to all nations. Go out into the highways and invite everybody you find. Isn't that a blessing? I mean, I'm sad for Israel, but I'm thankful that the invitation has come to all. And the truth is the invitation is still available for Israel and we know that God has future plan for Israel. But God in His sovereignty and His wisdom has used this as an occasion to extend the invitation to all men, which was His heart all along, to save and to redeem man everywhere for everyone. Notice He says both bad and good. Well, I thought everybody was bad. Everybody needs saving. Everybody, nobody is good before God. And that's true. Relatively speaking, all men are sinners. 
And there is none righteous. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But, but Jesus is, is, is speaking something here, both bad and good, in terms of how men perceive one another. The gospel comes for all, to all, for all. So, so we may judge men like, well, he's a pretty good guy. He, woo, he's, a, he's bad news. Guess what? The gospel calls them both. And it's true, relatively speaking, there are some whose lives compared to others are pretty good. I mean, and some men are just, and women, they're just kind of live moral lives. They're pretty good people. They're pretty, they work hard. They pay their taxes. They're good citizens. They're law abiding. But they're still sinners. They're still sinners that need the, the salvation, the grace of Jesus Christ. And some, well, some are bad. Some are just, and maybe some of you have been there. Some of you hopefully are not there today, but some are just really fallen into the depths of sin, into the depravity of sin. And guess what? The invitation is for them too. God takes all manner of men, all, all walks of life, and invites us to this work, to this, uh, to this wedding feast of the, of the kingdom. You know, what's interesting, I've always found this to be something Interesting. Most of you know about Chuck Smith. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but he was some, he was the kind of the founding pastor of the Calvary Chapel movement. And he grew up in a Christian home. His mother was reading him the scriptures just you know before he could even talk. He was hearing the word of God. He he never really strayed much. He 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 grew up in that home, came to faith early, and just lived for the Lord his whole life. Went into ministry, just loved the Lord. Now, he in his own heart, he knew he was a sinner. He was so thankful to be saved by Jesus. But, you know, he didn't have one of those dark testimonies of where his God just got a hold of him and totally transformed his life, turned his life, to, life around. And yet, he's the one that the Lord chose to use in such a profound way in that, to that whole hippie culture, the 60s and 70s, a generation that was completely gone into sin, here comes this kind of straight-laced guy with no real experience in those kinds of circles, and yet God uses his life to touch and bring so many to faith in Christ. Sometimes we think, man, I just wish I had a testimony, you know. I wish I'd been bad when I had the chance to be bad so that my testimony now could really be dramatic. Then people would really get saved. But that's not true. Now, thank God for the dramatic testimonies. Because what it does is it, it, it amplifies the truth of the message. But make no mistake, the power of salvation is not in your testimony or mine. The power of salvation is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that goes out to all, and all of us can be carriers and messengers and servants of the message. You don't need some dark past to be able to share the good news with someone who's in darkness. All you need is what? The good news. And that is where the power lies. Paul said in Romans 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Good and bad, all are invited. The that the, none of us are worthy, but all of us are included. The invitation is now. The invitation is for all. And I like the fact that the Lord 
the king in this parable, he sends out his servants. And that speaks to you and I, those of us that have come to faith. We are his servants. We are the messengers today. We are the ones going to our generation out into the highways, find the bad and the good and say, come, come to the wedding. Everyone you find, he says, everybody is a candidate to come. And so we should be faithful with the message. Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples and tell them, proclaim this news of the gospel. Paul said we are ambassadors for Christ. And in Romans chapter 10, he says this in verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. They can't come to the wedding unless they know they're invited. And they don't know they're invited unless they hear the invitation. And they won't hear the invitation without a preacher, a servant sent to invite. How beautiful are the feet of those, you and me, who bring the message of good tidings. God would call us, as he did in the parable, in this parable, the servants, he sends them out. Go into the highways and invite everybody you find. That's a good exhortation for us to do. Share your faith. Finally, here, the last section in this parable, look with me, verses 11 through 14 we see the removal by the king. One of the guests is going to be removed. Verse 11, as we found out before, the section before, the the banquet hall is filled. Verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And so he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the servants, now this would be different servants, these would be the angelic servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This description, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, this is a, a New Testament description of hell and eternal separation from God. At this point, the parable is moving from story to reality. The parable is now coming forward in a sense that this is, this is no longer a story. This is the reality of those who attempt to come to the banquet that are not properly clothed not properly wearing the garments that have been given by the king. For the, sake of, in the, for the nation of Israel, they, were, they claimed to belong to God. They claimed to be God's people, but they refused to live for him. They refused the garment of Christ and his righteousness, and so they were expelled from the, from the feast. This guest in the parable is something of a pretender. He is someone that imagined he could attend the wedding without changing his garments. He came on his own terms in his own way. The king provided garments for his guests. They were to come and honor the king by 
putting on the garments provided for. This was one who didn't want to. And when asked, he was speechless. He had no answer. Attending without proper garments, coming on your own terms, coming on your own righteousness. I want to be at the wedding, but I'm dressed just fine. I don't need any new garments. I don't need to change. I want to be included in the family. I want to be part of the Christian community, but I just want to be who I am. And I don't want to have to transform or change or or in any way become like Christ. That's what's being modeled here. And that doesn't go over with the king. We must be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We must be clothed with the transforming power of Christ. Listen to a couple of passages here as we close. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this, You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul talks about this transformation in the Christian life uh, as a garment. Look, you, you put off the old, and you put on the new. When you come to Christ, when you come to the invitation of his wedding feast, you come realizing, I want to shed these old garments and I want to put on all that he has for me, created in righteousness and holiness. I want to put on the new man, this man created in Christ Jesus. The prophet Zechariah, he saw a vision. He saw this, this kind of played out in heaven. And he writes of it in Zechariah 3. Don't turn, but let me just give you the, the highlights. Joshua, the high priest, was there, and Zechariah saw him in the heavenly scene. And it says in verse 3 of chapter 3, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. This Joshua, the high priest, standing before God, his his own righteousness was but filthy rags. But a voice, the one from heaven, said, Take that off of him and put on the rich robes of mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. He'll be white as snow. Those old garments passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yes, to come to Christ means to come into the newness of what Christ has for you and to exchange your old filthy clothes for the righteousness of Christ. The church in Revelation is described as the bride of Christ. In the parable, uh, we are but the wedding guests. But in, in reality, we are actually the bride. We're not just guests at the wedding. We are the bride at the wedding, and Christ is the groom. Listen to how he describes us in Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. 
For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. God has prepared a garment for His bride, for His church. It's the righteousness that comes from Christ. As we put our faith and trust in Him, the sins are removed. His righteousness clothes us. And those works that we do in faith, that's all that remains. God takes all the filth away and leaves nothing but the pure, beautiful essence of Himself on those who have been clothed by Him. That's why the king spots this man unchanged, in the old clothes. How did you get in here? And the man had no answer. Because there is no answer. Some think, well, when I get to God, I'll have a word with the Lord. Oh, no, you won't. The only thing you'll be able to say is, thank you, Jesus. You've saved me. My sins, though they were like scarlet, you've cleansed me and made me white as snow. You, with all the voices in heaven, will be declaring glory, glory, glory to the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for us, who has given us these garments to where we can enjoy eternity with Him as a child of the King. Many are called, Jesus says, but few are chosen. Many are called, many are invited, but few are chosen. Those who truly accept and allow Him to put on the new garments of faith and come to the wedding. The invitation still stands. Oh, it goes out even today. I think so much more so in this last of the last days. You, you almost, you can kind of, in the king's words in this parable, you hear the urgency. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding. In the same way that the king appealed to the nation of Israel in their moment. Now I think so God would appeal to the, to the world today just at, before He comes, just before the wedding begins. It's not too late. Everything is ready. Come. Come to the wedding. God still invites us to come and enjoy that which He has prepared. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this parable which we know speaks of deep spiritual truth. And Father, I pray that we would learn from the truth that is here for us today as a church, as a people of God living in this generation, as individuals, Lord, each one of us called to be servants, to be uh, responsive to your invitation to come, to come and receive, to come and be forgiven, to come and be clothed with your righteousness. All is prepared. There's nothing I can add. There's nothing I need to do. I just need to come and allow you to change my filthy garments for those of a royal robe. I pray, God. I pray that we would be mindful of these eternal things and the hour in which we live. As our heads are bowed and we prepare to close in a song of worship, I do want to extend an opportunity for you today if you need to respond. You know, it, it may be that you sincerely feel in your heart the invitation from the Lord to you right now saying, Come. 
come to the wedding. Come to what I've prepared for you. Come be cleansed. Come be washed of your sin. Come to Jesus. Come to the cross where all was paid for. Come to the resurrection where there is life and joy and eternal hope. Maybe you're here today and you've never responded to that invitation. Maybe you've been unwilling. Maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you've considered it something of a light thing. But today, God has touched your heart and you know, I need to come to the Lord. I want to, I want to attend that wedding. I want to receive that mercy and grace. Maybe you're here today and you need to recommit your life to the Lord. Rededicate your heart. It happens, you know, maybe the cares of life, maybe the trials, maybe distraction, maybe sin, maybe just whatever detour your heart has taken, you know today you're distant from the Lord. And you need to come back and recommit your heart to Him and say once again, Lord, I don't want to consider my faith a light thing. I want to be all in with You. I want to come back to my first love. And do those things in my heart that I know you've called me to from the beginning. I'd love to pray for you too. So if you're here today, you want to receive Christ for the very first time. Or you need to rededicate, recommit your heart to him. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated. And I'll pray for you. God bless you there in the center section in the back. A couple hands. On the aisle, God bless you in the back. Over here on the aisle, on the right side, my left. Down the aisle here, the center section. On my right, the left, up in the front here, God bless you, ma'am. In the back, on the aisle, I see you. Put it up, put it down. Just let me see you, and we're going to pray. Anybody else? A number have responded. Any others, the Lord speaking to you. The invitation is strong in your heart today. You want to come. Come to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. He loves you. Everything is ready. Anyone else, just before we pray? there on the aisle. So Lord, these hearts responding to you today, we, we ask that you would meet them with your love, and with your grace. Lord, that they would be confident today that everything is prepared. They don't have to become anyone or do anything. They just simply need to receive and accept the invitation and allow you to cleanse their heart, to be sincere, to repent, to say, God, forgive me. I want to turn from this way. I want to follow you. I'm coming to you with a, with a sincere heart. I'm asking you to cleanse me. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to change me. Both bad and good, wherever we are, Lord, we need Jesus. And we ask you now to meet us and to begin to transform us as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.